welcome to podcast 121 in our series You Should Have Been There with me, Simon Calder and me, Mick Webb. At the centre of the piazza is a magnificent fountain with very dramatic figures topped by an Egyptian obelisk and behind it a huge domed church. Everywhere there's tourists. There's a whole bunch of people who are blocking the road here, trying to uh, hear, craning in to hear what the tour guide has to say. This week's podcast is about some loosely connected travel themes. Rome, which I think is where you've just been, Simon, and judging from uh, that uh, clip, the Piazza Navona. Correct, yes, a beautiful place, uh, but as you will hear, um, rather um, over-visited, at least the (laughs) day I was there. Okay, well, as well as that, the uh, UK Podcast Awards will make an appearance, and of course, the ongoing tale of trying to make it across the channel, without having recourse to the wetsuit, the grease and the water wings. Yes, swimming it. So, um, Simon, how are the travel matters on the southeastern coast of Kent, and uh, have they improved since last weekend? They certainly have, Mick. Yes, uh, at the moment things are fluid, as they say. <laughs> actually, um, increasingly on this side of the channel as well. And do you think that the uh, the, the worst of the uh, chaos is now um, behind us? Ah, well, if you're talking about sea and tunnels, yes, definitely. The next surge is going to be at the end of August, coming back into the UK. Things are just about being managed in the skies. It's the railways where we're seeing the absolute grief. Um, We've had lots of strikes so far this summer, and August is absolutely full of them. Drivers on the 13th of August, uh, National Rail Strike on the 18th and the 20th of August, and sandwiched between them, the London Underground. So uh, it takes me back to the summer of 1989, which was the last time we had rail chaos on such a scale. But on a happier note, our discussion of uh, transmanche matters attracted a message from regular friend of You Should Have Been There, Rebecca Halpin, and she sent us the following to at You Should Have BT. Hello, your conversation about cross-channel ferries brought back many happy memories. My first experience of going abroad was a school day trip to Boulogne, which seemed extremely exotic and exciting. We ate in a proper French restaurant and brought long strings of sweets. Throughout my teens, I went from Dover to Calais several times on one occasion by hovercraft, including coach trips to Minden in Germany, Mont in France and Amsterdam. The most exciting of these trips was as a 17-year-old with a friend, our first adventure abroad, unaccompanied by adults. We took the sleeper train from Calais to Marseille, where we stayed with local families as au pair for a couple of weeks. Even now, says Rebecca, I associate Dover with that sense of anticipation going somewhere completely different. I always really enjoyed the ferries as well. So much more interesting than just going through the tunnel. Although, of course, Eurostar is another matter and the speed with which it whizzes from London to Paris still amazes me. Well, I agree with uh, Rebecca on pretty well all those points. (laughs) But I did want to ask you, Simon, whatever happened to the hovercraft? Well, what a great invention this was, of course, invented on the Isle of Wight and unbelievably the world's last remaining scheduled hovercraft service still runs from South Sea, 
next door to Portsmouth across to Ryde. And um, it's a, a, a reasonable success. It's quite expensive, but all the crossings are over the Isle of Wight. And they've got brand new hovercraft, which um, are quite magnificent. But the cross-channel hovercraft, goodness, it was, uh, for, for a time in the late 20th century, it was absolutely the way to get there. You had competing sea speed from um, uh, Dover and you had uh, hover speed from Pegwell Bay International Hoverport near, near Ramsgate. And they competed across to uh, Calais and also to Boulogne. And it really was the fastest way across. So it was the equivalent, really, of, um, of Eurotunnel. Unbelievably, they kept going until 2000. So that was, what, six years after um, the uh, Eurotunnel began. Um, it was quite the best way to get there because you, if you hitched outside the uh, terminals and you got a lift, you would be allowed on without having to pay for a ticket. It was, it was fantastic. And um, uh, I have many happy memories of, uh, of, of travelling by hovercraft, though if it was a bit bumpy, you got to know about it. Well, that is very true. I mean, I do remember going from um, uh, Pegwell Bay uh, with a mate of mine called Bob, who I didn't realise was prone to seasickness. And honestly, we hadn't even got out beyond the sandbar before um, he was reaching for the brown paper bag. But um, I do remember the thrill of the thing actually landing, as it were, or yeah. docking and just sort of coming in. And then um, that flopping, flopping, yeah, yeah, that huge rubber skirt thing deflating as it gradually, um, uh, yeah, <laughs> sort of flopped down like a jellyfish onto yes. the sand. And the experience inside was a bit like being in a very, very kind of uh, quite smelly um, jumbo jet, because, of course, the, there was very, uh, very pungent uh, smell of fuel because it burnt a ludicrous <laughs> amount of this. And the idea of having this huge car carrying, truck carrying uh, hovercraft going across the channel, I may be exaggerating a bit with the trucks, um, was well, one of those um, great British transportational cools de sac. Of course, the French had their yeah. own aeroglisseur that ah. they made. So it was, it was the kind of well, more from the Concord era. <laughs> Yes, great ambition and creativity, but uh, sort of not necessarily backed up by business acumen. Would that be a fair summary? Uh, it certainly would. And, um, well, I just get to get yourself to South Sea if you want to try it out. <laughs> right. Um, now, we've promised uh, Italy, but um, before we go there, I'd just like to mention an event that took place last weekend and, and might have passed rather below the news radar, and that was the UK Podcast Awards 2022. They were overshadowed, I think, by our lionesses, holiday travel chaos, and of course the mighty contest for the leadership of the Tory party <laughs> and indeed the country. <laughs> Did we win? Ah, well, we might have done if I'd entered. But, oh! Um, I'm sorry, but uh, A, I didn't have time because it takes a long time to um, gather together the uh, the clips you need and then uh, write some sort of justification um, and also it cost quite a lot of money I mean oh. substantially more than the budget for our podcast for about five years I would say <laughs> however I did find a few comments about the actual winners that could have applied to you should have been there so listen to these and yeah. see if you agree beautiful 
confident and brave production. <laughs> Storytelling at its finest. An exciting new podcast talent. Powerful, intimate and personal. I'll take all of those. Did anybody say um, these young men clearly have a bright future? Uh, oh, dear. Uh, but, I, I, yes, I, I really did think you were going to enter. I didn't realise that there was a financial hurdle that you had to overcome first. So I dare say um, commercial podcasts were in a better place to do that. Well, I thought you were going to do the entry this year, although I think I forgot to um, ask you if you would. But there is one thing I'd like to protest about, and that is the fundamental injustice of this competition. The BBC won some of the prizes. And if you think about it, comparing the BBC with um, our production company, in inverted commas, it's a bit like Manchester City or Liverpool entering a Sunday League Cup competition on Tooting Bet Common. Would you agree? <laughs> well, I mean, we do have the um, your, your great production prowess, if I may, from making 1,000 radio programmes <laughs> during your illustrious career at the corporations. Well, anyway, um, I- I- enough sour grapes. Tell us about uh, what you did in Italy. So I was away for about five days. Um, Flights actually worked pretty well. I bought a ticket on British Airways, flew out actually to Rome on Iberia of Spain. Um, Airport uh, fairly fluid. Uh, Mask wearing almost non-existent except on local buses. And goodness, you would never know there had been a pandemic anywhere, judging by the crowds that just flow through every street of central Athens central Rome (laughs) I think maybe you need to take a rest from travel now I want to ask you um, in a moment um, when in Rome did you do as the Romans or as the UK traveller tourist reporter does And, and, and the reason for this question is that it's been an excuse to dig deep into our archives and to hear a clip of our third podcast which goes back nearly three years November 2019 it came after borders lost and was called when in Rome Simon do you know where when in Rome uh, as a phrase or saying originated well, I'm guessing I, it would be sometime before uh, the birth of Christ, and I imagine it was something that the Phoenicians or the Greeks or the Carthaginians or somebody said um, when before their their emissaries were dispatched to um, uh, the, the heart of the Roman Empire. They said, um, "Of course, when in Rome, do as the Romans do." As a parting parting word, that's a good try, but actually, it's wrong. Um, apparently, allegedly, uh, and on good authority, actually, um, the phrase. Uh, is attributed to St Ambrose, and it's not before Christ. 4th century AD, I think we're talking about here. And it was in a piece of advice that he gave to the young St Augustine, who at the time was an up-and-coming member of the Christian church, and one who, of course, was to eclipse St Ambrose big time, because I don't really think I know anybody who knows who St Ambrose was. Oh, well, there is in Palm Beach, um, so so, uh, Donald Trump's... uh, uh, now hometown, um, the island in, in Florida, the, the um, 1930s restaurant called um, the Saint Ambrosius. But uh, there we are. They're just just sticking up for, for Ambrose for a moment. Anyway. I, don't you think that might be more connected with Ambrosia 
the food of the well, gods. Oh, no. So, well, you'd think so, but it was the scent which did it for me. Anyway. Yeah. Apparently, St. Augustine was perturbed by the difference in the way that Mass was celebrated in Rome ah. um, from how it was in Milan. But the wise advice of the older um, St. Ambrose, who at the time was the Archbishop of Milan, and that was all the Bishop of Milan, which is why uh, St. Augustine, St. Augustine um, contacted him, was, never mind, uh, it's different everywhere. Uh, and so, if I were you, when in Rome, celebrate it, uh, when in Milan, celebrate it as it is in Milan, and when in Rome, um, do it as it is in Rome. And... Um, I suppose this was a time when most people, unless they were extremely wealthy or soldiers or, or well, sailors or stuff, wouldn't have travelled more than 20 miles from, from their homes in their life. No, um, well, you're, you're absolutely right. Um, in, in the olden days, and I'm taking us pretty much up to the uh, uh, the last 500 years, arguably the last 100 years, um, the uh, international travel has, for the vast majority of people, purely been for, for trade, you know, as, as merchant seamen mostly, uh, for war, lots of that, and for pilgrimage. So there we are. Yes, and, and it's, of course, it, it holds good, as it did in the 4th century, because you've just got to have respect for the culture that you're going to. You have to fit in, and if you don't, well, you are taking a number of risks. The first one of which is that you will upset everybody, um, which is which is most regrettable um, that they may not like foreigners um, in future. And uh, of course, much more seriously from your point of view, you may be breaking laws, you may be um, starting fights. It's it's a, a very tricky thing. Well, did you do as the Romans? I didn't Mick because I think any self-respecting Roman is probably to be found in one of the Italian lakes or perhaps another part of Europe <laughs> or the world and um, I did get to the Piazza Navona to begin this um, great pilgrimage that um, well in my case started there and went through to the Pantheon and to the Trevi Fountain this wonderful holy trinity of glory um, that is um, really quite popular these days. When in Rome you are a tourist, you are not a Roman and the Romans don't for example buy gladiator embossed pasta as far as I know. Uh, they don't have much use for sim card for tourists as I'm being invited from that very red Vodafone banner to uh, obtain, uh, they get on with their lives and tolerate the tourists. I think it's a very good thing. Uh, did I hear that right? Gladiator embossed pasta? Yes, one of the many treats that awaits you. Um, yet, in between the uh, extraordinary tourist shops selling all manner of tat, uh, you can actually just find the odd co-op and breeze in there and buy the ingredients for a picnic although increasingly you have to be careful anywhere in Italy of where you sit and eat your picnic because picnicking in some locations is an offence and there are generally uh, pictures showing you that um, ah. you shouldn't be doing this but uh, it, it, given the pathetic pound it is actually a very useful uh, useful thing to have these um, these actual proper shops selling actual proper stuff in them. Well, that's good advice. And, and, and actually, in that original podcast, When in Rome, we also gave advice about 
things to see. Um, I would visit Ostia Antica. And this is um, a, a almost almost deserted uh, historical site, um, which is downstream, down along the Tiber uh, from Rome towards the sea, very close to Fiumicino, where the airport is. And it is miraculous. It is the old port that used to serve Rome and the waters have silted up and it is uh, within a dozen miles or so of, of uh, all these overcrowded sites, the Colosseum, um, the Vatican and so on, um, you, you've got somewhere where you can be in splendid isolation and really get a sense of the Roman Empire and everything that it achieved. What about yours? Well, actually, I'm going to, um, rather, than a, uh, rather than quote a specific place, I'm going to, um, I'm going to suggest a piece of advice I was given um, when, uh, uh, for work, uh, I was sent to Rome, which is, of course, a very good thing indeed, and I had to um, rent a car from Fiumicino Airport. I'm just going to stop you there. When in Rome, don't re- rent a car would be another piece of advice I had, but you've got... A no, well, I did actually have to rent a car because I was working, and I was actually a bit nervous about driving yes. uh, in Italy because I never had done before and there are all of these um, uh, stereotypes about Italian driving in Italy uh, so I asked this uh, this colleague I said uh, I've got to drive around the the uh, ring road in uh, in in Rome what would you advise and he said first of all don't do it and then yes. uh, then he said he gave me this very good piece of advice he said uh, whatever you do don't use the wing mirrors he said just look ahead of you he said you need all of your attention on what is going on in front of you and if you just if you're distracted for a second you will almost certainly crash into something in front of you so uh, I did this I followed his advice and the mist came down so it was utterly terrifying it was rush hour and I cannot tell you the 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 mayhem uh, that that uh, took place in front of me but luckily I was watching and uh, got around it in one piece well, I think, uh, in retrospect, I could have thought of something rather more interesting than a driving tip, but uh, maybe it was helpful. Uh, <laughs> but on this visit, did you discover anything new and unexpected, given that there are probably more must-sees in Rome than uh, any other world city? Yes, I did. And by the way, I wouldn't even dream of driving anywhere <laughs> in Italy. I don't have the gene, and um, I, it, it is a horrifying prospect. But yeah, I, so I got the uh, train in from the airport to Trastevere, uh, which is the little area across the river from ah, yes. across the yes. Tiber from, uh, from from the rest of Rome. Now, the first thing to know is that you get on the train and it says it's stopping at Rome Trastevere. What it doesn't tell you is that it's then a ta- ten minute taxi ride from there to actual Trastevere. Um, anyway, I, I, <laughs> a, a taxi solved that, and uh, right at the heart of Trastevere is the amazing Basilica of Santa Maria, one of the oldest churches in. Rome and really quite a magnificent way to begin your trip not least because there is nobody there but from there in about 15 minutes you can be plunged back into the extraordinary tide of humanity um, with um, uh, all kinds of um, I guess you would call them modern centurions leading the charge of tourists by holding up an umbrella or a flag um, and getting their, their, their charges to follow them. 
Well, I am now fighting against the tide of tourists. I've approached from the Piazza Navona. I'm going towards the Pantheon and from there to the Trevi Fountain. Very evidently, every single tour group goes in the opposite direction and I am fighting against the tide. I am not doing in Rome as the tourists. So should we conclude from that that when in Rome, it would be sensible to do as the other tourists? I, well, I, I think so. I mean, the reason that those amazing sites, the Trevi Fountain, the Pantheon, the uh, Piazza Navona, are so popular is because they are, frankly, extraordinary um, works of man. Um, similarly, of course, the Colosseum, uh, the, 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 the whole of the ancient heart of Rome is still there. And um, quite often you can actually just see it when you're going past on the bus it's marvelous but i did get in touch with our friend uh, you should have been there james hill who's a tour guide and i said james is there anywhere that um you can go in italy in <laughs> july or august where you are not going to um uh bump into people and he sent me a list of about 20 uh great locations um in particular he picks out lake orta in piemonte in the ah. north uh, modena um, yeah. in Emilia Romagna uh, and, and even near Venice um, he recommends the Berici Hills um, and Azola and he also says specifically South Tyrol and Trentino are overlooked Trento is like Verona without any tourists and uh, Bolzano is hugely interesting too so uh, I'm going to try all those places I will report back well, I look forward to it, um, and uh, I might even try one or two of them myself. But uh, it's time for a confession from me. Um, another one, I suppose, <laughs> if you include the failure to enter, you should have been there for the podcast award. And this one's about sadly neglected messages from listeners. Now, that, that they came to light this week when I clicked on some confusingly named section in Twitter and discovered quite a few messages that we've been sent over the last couple of years and that I was quite unaware of. Well, and as official social media um, uh, representative, uh, you should have been there. I, I must apologise too. Uh, and uh, if it's not too late, this is what Helen P sent us. Just listen to your podcast on scams, and I wonder, is a podo a scam? Now, just, this is me talking here, not, not Helen. Yeah. Uh, just to let you know what a podo is, it was set up about 20 years ago by um, a group of airlines as an online travel agent um, to help them compete with some of the uh, uh, other online travel agents, and it did for pretty well for a few years. I used it a lot. Then it was bought up by a Spanish company it's currently headquartered in Barcelona, and yet uh, you kind of wouldn't know that from its, its, its friendly UK uh, presence. And back with Helen, uh, one of our connections got changed to make it impossible to catch. Um, a podo were incredibly hard to get hold of, no phone number, only a chat with a one-hour queue. When we did get them, they kept claiming they would sort it out, but never did until the last minute when they said it was too late. We ended up getting the train instead. Seems to me they took our money but had no intention of helping us. Um, well, Helen, I am so sorry that that happened, but we are, uh, I get probably more complaints about online travel agents which are based outside the UK than I do about any other subject. Yes, they're very tempting when you look on a, a flight comparison website like Skyscanner 
but then when you click through when you book they take your money um and yeah my my experience is pretty much exactly the same as yours they've got no intention of helping you um i uh, only use them in extreme cases where um, and sometimes they can actually save you hundreds of pounds on an airfare and so you effectively take a risk but bear, bear in mind that if anything changes or you have any issues or they or the airline changes a flight you are going to be in a lot of uh, difficulty well here's another of the lost messages and this one's from johnny n Hi Simon and Mick, I hope you're well. I love listening to You Should Have Been There. In fact, I listened to it for four hours solid today driving from Glasgow down to my parents' place in the northeast of England. Oh. I love the balance of opinion, memories and projections that you put forward in the show and I only hope to be able to travel as widely as you have and experience some of the wonderful sights you have had in your extensive careers. Johnny, that's so nice. That's um, that's worth three UK podcast awards, I'd say. Um, at, at least, yes. At and uh, I'd also like to say that Mick's, Mick's mighty career is even more extensive than mine. <laughs> well... Um, Whilst I was driving today, this is Johnny N again, I did have a thought and maybe one which could be a good topic of discussion for your podcast. And with it being Pride Month, I thought it might be interesting to explore the topic of where people who are LGBTQ plus go to travel. I'm a recently out gay man who is 32 and up to a few years ago I never had to think about where I went on holiday. I've been to North Africa, North America, Southeast Asia, Europe extensively and now sadly I have to think very clearly about where I am allowed to go and what consequences I could potentially face if I was identified as a gay man in certain countries. I know you probably have a long list of topics lined up for the foreseeable but I did think about getting in touch and wanted to. I think the show's great. Take care. Um, well, that's uh, something I think we should certainly act on. And uh, Johnny, if you're um, if you're listening and uh, you haven't uh, written us off, uh, not getting back to you, um, do get in touch and and maybe you'd like to be a guest on the show. Yes, uh, goodness, the problems facing LGBTQ plus people are. A myriad around the world in particular of course in um, for example uh, the Gulf states uh, both in the UAE and also in Doha in Qatar um, home for the World Cup in 2018 um, very valuable topic and thank you for that uh, we, we welcome your other uh, ideas for things that we should be covering in you should have been there. Um, I'm particularly interested in travel coincidences. Have you had any astonishing coincidences like you uh, you, you met a long-lost school friend, um, I don't know, on top of Mount Everest or something? Um, do let us know at you should have BT. Uh, that's our Twitter handle, and we promise to be more diligent in looking at it. Well, yesterday um, I met um, someone who I had worked with, it must be 30 years ago and, and hadn't seen uh, since, um, outside a cafe in Ealing. I don't know if that counts. <laughs> yes, have you encountered any long-lost friends somewhere even more exotic than Ealing? <laughs> Let us know at you should have BT on Twitter or, of course, you can go to anchor.fm forward slash you should have been there. Follow the instructions to leave us an audio message. Well, on the subject of 
future topics, I must confess, oh no, not again, that I <laughs> promised a mystery guest this week, and keen-eared listeners will spot that the mystery guest has been something of a fantasy guest, but I will do better, I promise. And uh, we, meanwhile, will be um, uh, slightly, perhaps sporadic with our output through the month of um, August. There's various uh, trips coming up, but we will, of course, um, be keeping you at the forefront of our minds. We're very, very keen to hear from you. And also, we also, we have a catalogue of now 120 past editions <laughs> that you can um, you, you can browse through and you can listen to them all, including, of course, number three, When in Rome. But for now, from me, Simon Calder, in Streatham, and uh, me, Mick Webb, also in Streatham. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.